If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Today on Soundtrack Alley Spotlight, I'll be discussing Back to the Future Part 2. We'll look back on some of the cast, some of the background a little bit on the film, what we got in the year 2015, what we didn't get, and talk about going forward and backward in time, and of course, the score by Alan Silvestri. And it all starts now. I am your host, Randy Andrews. Welcome. Back to the Future Part 2. This film consisted of Christopher Lloyd, Michael J. Fox, Leah Thompson, and Elizabeth Shue, who replaced Claudia Wells, reprising many of their roles. And we see that Doc Brown, again, takes Marty and Jennifer to the future to stop a bad event from happening. While there... Biff steals a sports almanac from Marty and changes the past from November 5th, 1955. There's chaos and deja vu that happen throughout the film. But also, there's adventure and fun also happening that lead us to the conclusion of the series. It's a really enjoyable sequel, and there's a lot of fun points about it. So I have to ask, what did we see in 2015 that holds true? Well, 3D movies were still a thing. Although there were no self-drying coats or jackets. No hoverboards yet. But self-tying shoes actually do exist. They're crazy expensive, but they are possible. And one of the downfalls about predicting 2015 is that there's no flying cars yet, unfortunately. So expectations were still high for our future. The story is a little confusing, and once you've seen the movie a few times, you actually understand it, and it makes sense. There was originally no intent for anyone with the production of the 1985 instant classic Back to the Future to plan for a sequel, because the dominating grosses in the age of fantasy and action franchises 
actually pushed Back to the Future 2 to actually get made. And Universal was eager to keep the magic of the time-traveling DeLorean going. Robert Zemeckis and Bob Hale hatched out a plot to be revealed over two films. And with Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment once again producing, $40 million was budgeted for each sequel. And it was scheduled to release six months apart from each other, first in late 1989 and then summer of 1990. The returning crew of the Back to the Future sequels shot a few scenes for the two pictures simultaneously, covering up for the loss of two supporting actors from the original film, leading to a lawsuit from the actor first portraying George McFly that eventually paved the way for the industry rules about the usage of any actor's likenesses in sequels. The second film was a dark bridge between the more frivolous first and third stories, jumping through time extensively and exploring several paradoxes that affect the 1950s setting and a 2015 one as well. There were alternate realities that had to be cleared up by Marty McFly and Doc Brown to ensure that the past, the present, and the future misfortune didn't befall the McFly family and in turn benefit the first film's villain, Biff Tannen. Some of this wild shifting through locations caused problems with audiences, even though it still earned well over $330 million and was applauded by the visual effects industry for its employment of new technology allowing an actor to seamlessly appear multiple times in the same frames. While entertaining, the two sequels did not come close to matching the fiscal or critical success of the original. The composer, which was Alan Silvestri, burst into the mainstream with that 1985 score, and it was amongst his first fully orchestral endeavors in an otherwise pop-inspired career thus far moving on to Predator and other noteworthy major projects in the immediate years that followed that. Now, Silvestri handled the two later scores in the order of their film's post-production arrangement, so there was some common structural development to the two sequels. They exist as a largely effective separate entity. Silvestri did manage to write without ever seeing any of the third film, a preview of one of the two major themes for Back to the Future Part 3 to accompany its teaser sequence appended to Back to the Future Part 2. Most of the second score directly extends from the first, and however intentional the byproduct of the story's immediate continuation and in some cases rehash of some action from different camera angles, which is unique though. Outside of the short burst of foreshadowing of the Western theme for Back to the Future Part 3, which wasn't heard on the original album for the first sequel, there's little note that could be called original. However, for me, I still think Alan Silvestri did his absolute best. He does introduce a new menacing theme of trepidation for Back to the Future Part 2, a sneaky and ominous identity for Biss altering of the timeline and the sports almanac he uses to change the outcome of time.
but the music is otherwise completely dependent upon those themes, specific rephrasing from the first film. And in some cases, Silvestri remains loyal to the material from Back to the Future. And so, to some, he, it seemed that he was cutting and pacing, but he wasn't. Along with the logical need to accompany scenes already witnessed in the first film, he created some more unique patterns of what the Back to the Future 2 score really meant. Now, the title theme and its two halves, which is, of course, the triumphant fanfare and the longer adventure portion, are used again, and it's integral to the score. And the adventure of the half of the theme, and especially its distinctive first three notes, is more frequently referenced in subtle mutations. There's a soft theme for Marty and his friendship, with Doc Brown, and it's utilized especially when you see the scene Western Union. There's two themes for Doc Brown that are employed in Back to the Future 2 with greater frequency, and the bumbling rhythmic theme, which is the official identity of the character, frantically tumbles along as the interlude to the primary theme in the main title and it reappears in the future. Both accompany Brown's rather colorful, wacky persona, and it returns with a poignant stinger, which is a pair of descending triads on percussion used by Silvestri to pinpoint the magical, time-traveling aspect of the entire concept. Now it shows back-to-back, pair of docks, and Western Union, and these seem to be less prevalent, and yet, there's these six-note phrases, which has a favorite motif in the entire franchise. And so, there's similarities between the original skateboard chase and even the hoverboard chase, culminating in a climactic tunnel chase. And it was mostly a background element, usually churning on piano, and the militaristic theme of danger which originally accompanied the initial time travel test, uh, I just, I have to say that some of this can get really bogged down by stating what each piece of this music really has to accomplish. For me, the music is still fantastic, and it really flushes out Silvestri's ability to play with the original themes. I love the opening cue called Back to Back, It's Your Kids. Then, of course, the amazing theme from the original film that is altered in a unique style that makes the film stand out. In the future, illustrates how Marty's view of the future shows a light and somewhat chaotic feel to the events surrounding the film. Let's hear these cues.
What I found really most impressive about the film is the alternate reality of the 1985. The music that Silvestri writes is dark, brooding, and mysterious. With the alternate 1985, supposedly Doc Brown is committed, um, George McFly is dead, and Lorraine is actually married to Biff. So we see with Silvestri that he shines with the cues Biff's world, my father, and alternate 1985. They're fantastic pieces, and it really makes this score shine.
Sadly, we've come down to another end of Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. You can find his work at xanderscores.com. The last cues I'd like to play today are Pair of Docks, The Book, Nobody and Tunnel Chase, Western Union, and The West and End Title. Now, you can follow me through social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Soundtrack Alley. You can listen to the podcast through Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. Um, I have been using CastBox, which works really nice. Um, You can follow me through SoundtrackAlley.com and email me at SoundtrackAlley at gmail.com. And until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. I hope you've enjoyed it, and if you're on iTunes, please rate and review the show. It really helps Soundtrack Alley Spotlight get noticed. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com. Mm-hmm.